and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. This is a little bonus pod to discuss the Matilda's Asian Cup selection. There's lots of interesting little nuggets and stories in there, so we're going to take you through them all. Before we start, though, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, so the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to the elders past and present. So there's lots to get through today. We've got 25 players that will be whittled down to 23. We have lots of questions from you guys. So to answer them all, it's me, Marissa Lodanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Sam Lewis, and Anna Harrington. So girlies, let's get into it. The, the number one question we received from all of you on Twitter was basically some sort of remix of Ivy Lewick. Ivy Lewick. Um, the the why monkey meme is the one that's coming into my head at the moment but basically you all wanted to know why is ivy back has this kind of said that maybe our number six issue is a lot worse than we thought it was were there other players that maybe deserved a chance ahead of lewick whether that be someone who's on the fringes or a young player so i will not read through all of your questions but just know that we will be having the ivy lewick chat now so yeah. Anna, talk to us about Ivy Lewick's glorious return to the Tillies. I did love seeing the uh, the questions come through on Twitter. I have no control over the Twitter account for what it's worth, but just it was, why Ivy Lewick? How Ivy Lewick? Where Ivy Lewick? What Ivy Lewick? Lewick retired? No. And, yeah, I think that was everyone's reaction when the squad came through, like, she got off into the international sunset at the same time as Laura Brock. Like, off you go, Ivy. You're free now. No, you're not. Uh, <laughs> it's literally like a few months down the track. Um, Tony Gustafson said in his um, press conference, basically, that it was he gave Ivy the call around Christmas, I think at her Christmas break. She's obviously been playing really, really well in, in Italy, which comes as no surprise to anyone that's ever seen Ivy Lewick play club football. She's just a super player in person. And basically looked at squad depth for a number of reasons and went, we need to shore up the defensive midfield stocks. Obviously, we know about Elise Keller Knight's ongoing um, injury stuff and uh, obviously centre-back as well. And the thing that Ivy Lewick provides is obviously a hell of a lot of experience, a lot of character off on and off the pitch and the versatility to play as both a holding midfielder and also as a, I guess, a central defender as well, which we saw in the Olympics. Um, the thing with Lewick is she has been playing, as I said, very, very regularly and good football in Serie A. So that's a, a real tick to her name. But I think the, the question that's kind of prompted from everyone apart from the usual why is what does this say about our stocks generally in both of those areas? Because it does on the surface, at least, at least reek of a, a desperation call like SOS, Ivy Lewick, come help us out. You're 36, but slot on in here. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to disagree. Um, I think a bit of context to take into account is a couple of player unavailabilities um, that we'll probably touch on later as well. Uh, they looked at Katrina Gorey in the midfield mix and she obviously isn't going isn't gonna to play. She opted out of the call-up. And they were looking at Taylor Ray from Sydney FC, who's a fantastic young prospect as another defensive midfield option. But she unfortunately has contracted COVID, so won't be able to go to the Asian Cup. And I uh, feel hope Taylor is doing well and we'll see her get that senior call-up for real soon. 
but yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a, a matter of we, we know this. <laughs> There's limited options in terms of defence and especially the holding midfield option. We, we got glimpses of what Claire Wheeler could do there. Um, we know that Emily Van Egmond's been used at times, Kara Cooney Cross, but um, in terms of what we saw Lewick do previously was she dropped in, she played in midfield, but could also drop in and be a third centre back if needed when playing with a back five in in defence. So we know we know what she offers, um, and we know that she's reliable and experienced, not particularly quick, but we know exactly what Ivy Lewick can bring as a player. That said, it's still very much surprised me um the thing that the interesting thing I'll, I'll go to you in a sec Sam the thing that Tony said was at the moment it's just a call up for the Asian Cup because it's about performance mode rather than preparation mode he didn't say she was necessarily in contention for the World Cup in 23 but I mean if she's getting called up now do, do we see that happening um Sam I know you were just as intrigued by uh by this call yeah and it's it, I like the way that you have started this conversation, Harrod, because I think it's very much a multi-pronged kind of reasoning from Tony Gustafson and from the Matildas staff. Because Ivy Lewick is not just playing regularly at a high level, which is one of the boxes that you need to be ticking if you want to make it into the Matildas. She doesn't just have experience at these kinds of tournaments. Remember, she won the first Asian Cup in 2010 with the Matildas, so she knows what it takes in tournaments like this. But also she's incredibly versatile, as we said, and in high pressure tournaments like an Asian Cup where you play a lot of football in a short amount of time, you have to be able to cover for certain positions just in case something goes wrong. And we know that she can do that. And the other thing with me, for for me with Ivy, and one of the reasons why I'm a little sort of baffled as to why people like, what, Ivy Lewick? She's a sensational player. Like, I don't think people really appreciate that Ivy Lewick is still probably the highest standard of defensive midfielder that Australia has at the moment. I remember a conversation that we had maybe in the lead up to the Olympics where Ivy Lewick was used as the benchmark for what emerging midfielders needed to be able to do in order to crack into the team. She was running like 13 to 15 kilometers a game. Her sprints were amazing. She was making interceptions all the time. She was like, she was doing so much work and her stats were used as an example of what emerging players needed to be able to hit if they wanted to compete for a spot. And she's still clearly doing that. She's doing that at club level. She's still playing at um, the highest possible level in one of the best leagues in the world in Italy, right? Playing against some of the best players in the world. She is still a benchmark. She's still uh, one of those players who is being held up as an example of what you need to be able to match or exceed if you want to crack into the Matildas. So I don't blame them at all for going back to her and saying, hey, you're still ticking all these boxes. We know that you wanted to step away, but would you be, how would you feel about coming back in? And her response was, well, if my country needs me, then I'll say yes. You know, and that's an incredibly admirable thing for her to do, considering the kind of song and dance that was made around her retirement as well. But sometimes these things happen. And as you mentioned, Harrow, the the larger context, I think, plays a role in this as well. I think if we did have uh, a, a fit Taylor Ray, I think if we did have perhaps uh, a more comfortable Katrina Gorey, who was a little bit fitter and had maybe an older baby, um, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation about Ivy Lewick returning to the Matildas. But 
the other thing that I really liked about what Tony said in terms of their reasoning for bringing her in is because she is such a mentor. She is so experienced. She's such a good character and she's going to do so much for the younger players who have been called up into this Dubai camp and then into the Asian Cup where she's able to pass down so much knowledge. And if this is going to be her last tournament, this is the last opportunity that, that they're going to have in a Matilda's environment to be able to soak up all the lessons that she can teach them. So I'm, I'm stoked with the selection. I think she's a fabulous player. She's going to provide so much, not just to the group, but to the, the game itself. Um, and hopefully, you know, we do have a Taylor Ray and a, or, you know, a Claire Wheeler or uh, the next generation of defensive midfielders who can look at what Ivy continues to do into her late 30s and says, all right, that's what I need to do if I want to be part of the Matildas in the future. I did also find it interesting, Sam, at the time when Tony was talking about Ivy that talked about, um, I think when we looked at the Asian Cup a while back, it was, can we just bring through lots of players and test them out and um, get loads of youth? Um, And we're seeing a little bit of that with this squad selection. I know there's some players that are young that are already there, like Cooney Cross, Fowler, Nevin. And we're seeing these four train-ons fighting for for the two spots. Um, But it was interesting that he said that it almost seems like it's a remit from the Federation that they want to win, like the Football Australia want to win the Asian Cup. And I feel like that has force the hand of the coaching staff to an extent too in that I mentioned I mentioned Taylor Ray you'd think if she was fit she'd have really been able to grab one of those couple of spots um because I think she's sensational um but clearly by just plucking out Lewick and putting her in this squad it's going well we want a squad that can win and for all those reasons you mentioned Sam they think that she is a player that can put them in that position also like I just on an emotional level, very happy that she said yes because she didn't have to. Um, yeah, and I think if you think of this squad without her in it, that's uh, I do get the heebie-jeebies a little bit. So it's I was actually very pleasantly surprised and I'm really glad that she's um, up for the challenge and I guess the other side of that as well is like obviously she will be in that mentorship role and passing so much down but it's a shame that I suppose aside from Claire Wheeler and I feel like I prefer her in a more attacking 8-10 role to a 6 but aside from her there won't be any of those younger players who'll be able to like absorb it all I'm very depressed about the Taylor Ray thing I will I said in the group chat I will personally beat up this virus if I see it on these streets oh actually it's out on the streets quite a lot here in Melbourne actually I'm not going to do that I'm going to socially distance but give it the evil eye but anyway yeah so that's the only other side of it but those qualities can be bring so much to players regardless of their position so it's it's it'll it'll be a massive benefit to the squad without having a baby six in there either way so yeah. And that's another good point, Angela. It's like if if we did take a Taylor Ray in place of an Ivy Lewick, and this is a Taylor Ray, remember, that hasn't really been called up to this level much in the past, and she gets to this point and she doesn't do well, that's probably going to be a worse outcome, not just for the player or for the team, but for the sort of community of Matilda's fans as well because they're going to be like why did you do that you brought an inexperienced player to the Asian Cup and now we've lost it against Indonesia you know like the the consequences of that timeline I think would be worse than bringing in an Ivy Lewick yeah she takes the spot of a younger player but 
she is our best option in these circumstances. I think I'm, I feel much safer going down that road than I do the alternative. Um, and I think the other thing to take into consideration is the, the sort of makeup that we have in terms of the midfielders more widely in the Matildas currently. We've mentioned Kyra Cooney-Cross, Emily Van Egmond, Claire Wheeler. Um, we've got Tamika Yallop. You know, like these are players who can play in defensive midfield. They all offer something different. And I remember there's a comment that Tony made, um, I think it was during or after the Olympics, where he was asked about Kyra Cooney-Cross specifically being played a little bit more defensively. And one of the things that he said was that in terms of her statistics, she has the highest leap of any midfielder. In terms of a standing start, she can jump higher, uh, according to her size, her height, than any of the other players. She has a range of passing vision that is almost unparalleled in the Matildas. So, like, when we think about what a number six needs to be and do, we can't get trapped into this very particular kind of um, stereotype almost of, of what a defensive midfielder should be. There are different kinds of defensive midfielders for different kinds of opponents. Um, so I think bringing in an Ivy who is a more traditional perhaps number six is a good, a good option for a certain kind of game, perhaps a kind of game against a Japan or against a China. But if you're coming up against a Thailand or you're coming up against a Philippines, maybe you do want to have a clear wheeler in there who can offer a little bit more going forward. And hopefully it also means that we're not going to see an Emily Van Egmond used it as a number six, because we know that she's so much better going forward as well. So taking all of these different kinds of contexts into consideration, I'm very, very happy with the selections. Not to, to drag on the point there, Sam, but as you mentioned, obviously players like Wheeler, Cooney Cross, and Lewick, the thing that I hope we do see, and Tony did hint at it in his press conference, is when this final 23 is selected that we see, um, <clears throat> I think he didn't really want to call it squad rotation, but yeah, it is squad rotation and really using that 23. It's something that, clearly hindered us later in the Olympics when all our players were just gassed because of having to play a really strong team in every game effectively. And hopefully we see in those group games um, the use of some of those younger players, less experienced and sort of fringe bench players as starters more often and try and conserve some of some of our best players and or some of our players that would traditionally get a lot of minutes and just think of how tired players like obviously Kerr and Van Egmond um, and obviously Lewick in the Olympics too looked um, come the end of that campaign. I think it's going to be a real test in terms of player management and, and getting the best out of the whole squad and really, um, yeah, really just not tiring them out so that come the actual pointy end of that tournament, if they want to win it, they're fit enough and ready enough to do it. Um, other teams, as much as they want to win this, other teams have to worry about getting their qualification sorted first that's not something Australia has to do. So it's a matter of finding a way to get results with a mix of consistent starters and more fringe or younger players so that the best 11 or best, you know, 15 odd players are, are ready to go come the knockout games. Let's chat a little bit about these four players that aren't officially in the Asian Cup squad but have been invited to this uh, pre Cup camp in Dubai who will be battling it out for those final two spots on the roster. So we've got Holly McNamara, Courtney Vine, Winona Heatley and Carly Rossbacken. What did we make of their selections, of what they bring, of what Tony said about all of them? I thought his comments were really interesting about those players and 
who do we see making the final cut? Because that is a question that we have been asked on Twitter. Tara? I'm already in on Courtney Vine's got to make the squad if she does well in training. And the thing I loved about what Tony said about her was um, it, it just perceived what maybe the little gaps are in the Matildas. And he basically said Vine is pretty much the best one-on-one player in the A-League women. She, I think in terms of key passes, chances created, we know what she's done in terms of goal scoring and um, and also creating and assisting goals. You just have to look at the the Sydney blueprint goal, which is out wide in someone taps home and <laughs> she's or out wide Courtney Vine finishes um, and puts it towards the far post. Um, we were all made for this. Um, but yeah, she, the thing with Courtney Vine, and as I said, Tony highlighted is she is so good one-on-one. She loves to take on players. Um, she's a player who just looks like over the past two years, she's sort of grown into her body and matured. It's something that I think people often associate with male footballers because, you know, men don't stop growing till they're 21 and they take longer to mature. Um, but because we're used to seeing players like Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford emerge at 15 and They've improved a lot in 10, 12 years, people forget. But some players just take a little bit longer. And Vine, obviously, in her early 20s, she just looks ready, physically ready. She looks a cut above everyone at A-League women level. Um, so impressive. And what as Tony pointed out, if you've got a player that can do that sort of stuff one-on-one, it's so crucial when we're going to be playing in the Asian Cup against teams that are very, very likely to park the bus if you've got someone who can run at players, take them on, get past those first lines, they can create goals, they can create chances, they can sort of cause a bit of chaos and ruin those really organised defensive blocks. And we don't have too many players that can do that. We know that Ford is very good one-on-one and Razo and Kerr, but they're all very different. I think in terms of that sort of close control player, Vine is really, really exciting. It does remind me a little bit um, of when like a Daniel Azani burst on the scene with the Socceroos, right? It was all for Melbourne City. It's that that ability to take on players and stop those really difficult blocks. And they're not the same sort of, entirely the same sort of player, but it is something that Vine offers. And well, for me, if if she um, if she is up to the standard of, of training in this training camp, it's, it's a no-brainer because she offers something different. You can bring her on off the bench. You could, if she really impresses, even start her against some other opposition. But for me, as a, as a potential game breaker or just a bit of a chain game changer, as Tony likes to call them off the bench, just seems a no-brainer. And Sam, you're, you're nodding a lot, which we love to see. We love when we agree on things. <laughs> Doesn't often happen, but when it does, God, by heck do we agree. Yeah, no, Courtney, Courtney Vine's obviously been the standout attacker in the first half of this season. She's been extraordinary. And you're right, Harry, it does feel like she has come back from her injury that she sustained at the back end of last season and has really sort of found a new level. She's She seems very comfortable and confident in what her body can do. And you see the kinds of decisions that she makes in split seconds. She makes them because she knows that she can make them. She knows that her body can do the thing that she wants it to do. And we saw that on the weekend. We saw her, you know, just absolutely send Sarah Carroll to the shops uh, in that game against Perth Glory several times because she can. She has that ability. She has the speed. She has the speed of thought. And she's also, I think, consistently improving her close ball control. That goal that she scored where she just did that one beautiful one-touch control um, from that Mackenzie Hawksby ball and just laid it out beautifully in front of her to run on to, like that 
I, I, I tweeted about this as well. It, it reminded me so much of Hayley Rasso, but it's it's almost more advanced than what Hayley Rasso was at her stage um, at a similar kind of time um, in their careers. So I'm really, really excited about Courtney Vine. And I like that you mentioned, Harrow, um, what Tony Gustafson said about these particular players and the reasons that they've been brought in. And I think it's the, it's the same reason for Holly McNamara as well. And to a lesser extent, perhaps with Winnie Heatley, but breaking through lines, I think is, is the crucial sort of guiding principle for why these players have been brought through because we are going to be playing against Asian teams who are not very good going forward. So their only hope really is to try and park the bus and settle for a draw or to try and just like, not concede a thousand goals because that's that's the only way that they can progress right their world cup hopes potentially rest on goal difference in these kinds of tournaments so we need to be able to have players who can address that particular blockage and Courtney Vine is one Holly McNamara is obviously another she's very similar in terms of her key passes in terms of assists in terms of her forward runs in terms of breaking through those lines and finding pockets of space to tee up other players and Winnie Heatley as well. The reason that she's been brought in is because she takes space. She has confidence to, to move with the ball and to use the ball to take space and break through lines. So those three players in particular were um, sort of called out by, by Tony when we asked him about these new players coming in. I think Remy Simpson is maybe a bit of a different prospect. She's still sort of part of this um, group where we're not quite sure whether she's going to be fully folded in to the, the final squad. Um, but I think Remy has demonstrated at the first part of this season that she has added more tools to her belt in terms of being a more traditional number nine as well. Um, we know that over the course of the Olympics, Sam Kerr was pretty heavily marked out of the game. The opposition players know exactly what she offers. And one of the benefits perhaps of bringing in someone like a Remy Sampson is that there's, they don't really know much about her. They don't really know what she can offer and therefore she's a little bit more unpredictable and she's a little bit more dangerous. So I think that that's going to be a really good option going forward as well. The question that I do have is over Carly Rosbacken. Uh, I haven't really been keeping my eye on Rosbacken overseas in Clubland, um, but she seems to sort of just be returning to fitness at the moment and Tony mentioned that that's one of the reasons why she's been brought in because he wants to sort of see her more in this environment and see if she can sort of get up to speed quickly um, but so far her performances for Canberra haven't been hugely standout to me personally I think I probably would have taken one or two other defenders if I had a, the option who've been I think a little bit more impressive than Rose Bargain has been to me but again that's me standing on the outside and not taking into consideration personalities, culture, other kinds of things that Rose Barkin perhaps can offer to this group, not just now, but also going forward. So Angela, I'd be actually really keen to know your thoughts on the Rose Barkin choice. I think with Rose Barkin, going back to what you were saying earlier about versatility, I think maybe that's where she has an edge over some of the younger defenders that we're seeing in the, the dub at the moment in that she has, in that, if I remember correctly, so when she was playing overseas recently she was playing in um I think center back for the most part but she also has more of ability like I do see her more as a um like an Alana Kennedy-esque defender in some ways in that she does have the ability to move into the midfield a little bit and orchestrate things there so that's I, I too am a little bit confused to be honest I've been 
confused as we saw with all of the friendlies with me being like, I'd love to say Carla Rosbacher. And then like, she didn't really play at all. Um, and I guess that is informed, like you said, Sam, by things like culture, her presence in camp, what she's, and I guess what she's doing behind the scenes that we're not really privy to. That means that she has been called back in. The sort of question mark over her this time does make sense around the fitness. And I think as well, as you mentioned, the sort of, she hasn't made a statement of intent. I don't think so much this, this Canberra United season, which could be for a range of different reasons. But yeah, I, I, I do sort of see where you're coming from there. She's probably the most interesting inclusion out of, out of the four for me, because I sort of th- figured she'd be in or she'd be out. Um, but as a Carly Rossbacken fan, I'm, I'm happy to see that she is in consideration. Um, just hopping back a little bit uh, f- for the Courtney Vine takes, I guess. Um, I guess with the, sorry, it's great to see that she's actually gotten this opportunity because if you're on the toots, everyone's like about Vine time, right? And sometimes it can feel like everyone's swept up in how great a player is that you're sort of like, is this even real? Like, anymore is she really good? and you watch and you're like oh she's really good she's really good but the big question well not so much the question but the thing that I really love is that she will be going into this camp with Remy Seamson and with this Sydney side you can just they've got so much chemistry they gel so well and so she's been playing with people who know what she can do know what she's doing can read what her play really well and Seamson's one of those players they're just such a fantastic duo so if she was to go to the Asian Cup and to become one of the two that gets selected, I would be so keen to see them play together. But on the other side of that, I'm also more intrigued to see how she would go with other players in the team and working in an environment where she's matching up with people that she doesn't know, like the back of her hand. You know what I mean? So that's going to be kind of a, the interesting aspect to it. Um well, one part of it, but yeah, she's definitely someone I would like to see go to India. And another interest, I think, so her and McNamara as well, um, they didn't go to the talent ID camps and they haven't been in a seniors camp before, as far as I know. And that's sort of on the one hand, probably quite a daunting prospect. And McNamara, if she takes to like the seniors set up the way she's taken into the A-League women, like she's going to be fine. I I don't know what she's putting on her cornflakes, but she's got so much confidence. I'm incredibly jealous. Go Holly. But also, yes, that's it. The really exciting thing about that is that I think it gives a vote of confidence to players who are throwing themselves into the A-League women in the fact that, no, it's not just a surefire thing that the folks that we've been bringing in and that we've been testing out are just going to, we're just going to run with that. Like you can actually, there are opportunities to be completely fresh and to come in and to have a, have a like crack at it. So I think that's, it's all, I, I'm really excited about all four of the players, to be honest. But if I was Tony, I'd probably take a defender and then an attacker. Um, but either way, just a massive deal that they're all, well, McNamara, Heatley and um, Vine are all going um, to Dubai. I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of um, maybe not Ross Barkin, but the other three. Are. I think sometimes selection is as simple as you pick players in form and you get rewarded. Um, I think it's very rare where players in form and high on confidence are 
bad selections. And that's what I like about all three of these. We've mentioned Vine is uh, like has to be up there in terms of the Julie Dolan. Like she's just been sensational. Um, and Holly McNamara is a fantastic story as well because um, I was actually chatting to her last week. I chatted to her before that game got cancelled when a load of City players had COVID. Um, and she's basically was on the radar with junior and young Matildas. The day before she was meant to go to Kyrgyzstan with the junior Matildas, they had a scratch match against the boys and she did her knee. And then she, obviously we had COVID hit and there was a lot of disruption for football in terms of football. And then she, when she came back from her knee and finally started getting football again at 17, she had a foot stress fracture so it's been a really long sort of comeback and she was in future Matildas, basically got the call from Rado Vidasic, she from, from Sydney, from New South Wales, and went, oh, yeah, give it a go. And she's just thrived. I guess I think a lot of people were wondering where she's come from because she's 18. And as I said before, we usually see these kids come through around like 16. Um, but she's just been so good. Like, And she's combined with Hannah Wilkinson really, really well. Um, the thing that Tony said was she's probably more of a natural goal scorer, but it's her, her assists and her ability to link up that's been so impressive. I think there's still a bit of a way to go in terms of her finishing. We saw on the on the weekend against Wellington, there are a couple where Lily Alfeld made good saves, but McNamara probably should have buried them. And that's just a young player. That'll come. We saw with like Sam Kerr, for example, how not saying that she's going to be at Sam Kerr level, but like we, we've seen how players can improve that and work on that. And she's super exciting. I think um, it's a fair point you made, Angela, about maybe a defender and a forward is likely. And in that case, I think McNamara may have her work cut out because Vine has been so impressive. But he also may choose to take two attackers because of what Sam mentioned in terms of breaking down defences, offering something different. And her pace is just so explosive. Um, like I know Rado Vidasic has said on a couple of occasions that he's basically told her to use her pace more, which is quite incredible given it's been the standout probably of Melbourne City's season. And it's really exciting. And I think for a lot of players, that's what they wanted to see. I feel like a lot of the feedback coming through from A-League women fans and maybe coaches and people working in the state leagues around the country as well has been, well, you know, Tony's not in the country. Are we going to see players get their reward for really performing in the league that's happening right now. And I think the players that have been picked are players that really do deserve it. Um, Rado Vidasic has been pushing for Winnie Haley to be playing for a while. I think she's been excellent at, at City and not necessarily in her preferred position as well. She's sort of been shown that she can be quite adaptable. Um, I know that Emma Cech has been excellent in that defence too, but Haley they've been really impressed with. And I liked what Tony said about her ability to have that, and you said it too, Sam, that time on the ball, she's willing to play out, to take risks, to show some confidence on the ball as well, which is clearly what they want to see from the defenders they're bringing in. So, yeah, I think there's plenty to be excited about with all all three of those players. And in terms of Rossback, and I, I like the the reasoning there too, that she's been, she has been in the fold before and she's not in the, you know, full squad, like the final squad at this stage, but she gets a chance to show what she can do and see if she can get back to that really, I guess, impressive form that we saw in the Women's World Cup and shortly after, because we know she's played left back, right back. And I think at club level, she's even jumped into centre back at times as well. And it's a player that, the sort of player that I think you need to have feeling like they can contend. Um, And this sort of 
training camp, I guess, is a good way for her to try and put her name back up in lights. So we've talked about the the four players that Tony has invited along and brought along to this camp. We know that that would have been more if, you know, Gorry and Taylor Ray didn't have their respective um, things keeping them out of the camp. But he also said that he was hoping to bring an even bigger squad. And so that leads us very nicely into a question from friend of the pod, Nick, about how there was meant to be at least 30 players kind of heading to this camp, but that was reduced for a number of reasons. But who would we have liked to have seen make maybe not the full squad, but at least get a chance at this camp? Angela, I know you have notes, so I'm going to start with you. But that makes it sound like the notes are substantial. And to be, like I said, pre-pod, I had to write down names because otherwise I would forget every single name to ever exist if I was put on the spot. Um, The first one that I would take um, that we will probably get into in a bit more depth is Angie Beard. Um, Emily Condon, not so much as like a to go to India, but to suss the vibes would be for me just um, to see what's uh, going on there. Um, Jamila Rankin, Polly Doran. I'm just showing my bias here. Polly, Polly Doran. Um, and then, yeah, I think that was about it. Um, in terms of like defensive, this is the thing. I love Laura Hughes and I think that she's got, she's a, a different a different kind of defensive midfielder, but I don't think her seat. Canberra's, I can't say a player for Canberra that I'm like, wow, great season. Go girl. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, so maybe not, but Hughes is like on my radar in terms of like in the future, I guess. And then maybe, is that five? I can't count. I don't know. Yeah, maybe four. Sorry, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was also, the other thing when I was going through this, I was like, I would also want to bring in another defensive midfielder. I think that, yes, that's where I got to Laura Hughes. And I was like writing down the defensive midfielders we have in the dub. And obviously that was it. My number five would be, I would build a time machine, go back in time, lock Taylor Ray in a very luxurious Airbnb. So she was comfortable and explained to her that she needs to do this because she, she will go to the Asian cup if she just doesn't get COVID. Anyway. If obviously if I had a time machine, I'd go back and stop COVID, but I'm actually I think that's actually a bit beyond my capabilities. But kidnapping Taylor Ray, maybe a little bit more within my range. Anyway, I haven't had much sleep. Please, someone else <laughs> intervene. On on the defensive midfielder question, one of the players who I've been really impressed with so far this daily women's season has been Aisha Nori at Brisbane. I know that we she's she's only sort of still pretty fresh. She's only really just starting to have a, her first really full starting season playing consistently well and perhaps being handed the captain's armband has been a really big motivator for her, but I think she's been consistently Brisbane's probably best player um at least in a sort of more defensively minded kind of position. She also is a more traditional defensive midfielder, I think, than um, the kinds of players that we've already been discussing. But again, like that's, that's, that's I think, a future possibility. I don't think she's going to be ready for at least a, a good couple of seasons before she can reach international level. But what I've seen so far has been fantastic. 
another midfielder. I mean, I'm obsessed with midfielders. I think if I could just field 11 midfielders, including in goal, I would. Um, but another midfielder who I've I'm been... sorry, I'm sorry, Jeff Hopkins is is that is that you? <laughs> another midfielder who I think um, was was pretty unlucky to miss out on this sort of um, contracted uh, 25 players is Mackenzie Hawksby at Sydney FC. I think she has been stunning for the club this season, particularly off the back of how quickly, we mentioned this in the last episode, how much she has grown since coming to W League level and what she's doing now. She's currently, I think, leading the league in assists after her performance against Perth on the weekend. Uh, She's second on the golden boot ladder with four goals. Her set pieces are improving so much. She has an absolutely incredible engine. She just runs and runs and runs. She's only 21. And yet she makes decisions of someone who has been playing this game for a lot longer than what she actually has been. I just think she's been stunning. Um, So I think she's, she's unlucky to miss out. And it's, Odd to me that Ante Juric said after the Perth game that she wasn't even in consideration um, in terms of Matilda's stuff. And he would know because head coaches at A-League women's clubs are given a a much longer list um, about a month or two in advance of this particular announcement. So they know who's actually in the conversations and who's being considered. And it suggests to me that she wasn't even part of that, which is just bizarre to me. Um, But hopefully if she continues on this trajectory, she's going to get to a point where she is unignorable and I think that's what the players who have been called up have been able to do, particularly this season, a Vine, a McNamara, a Heatley. They, you cannot ignore them because they have just been absolute standouts. Um, so outside of those two, some players overseas who I think might be a little bit miffed that they haven't been considered, or maybe they have and they just weren't able to make this, this sort of cutoff. India Page Riley, she has been playing fairly consistently over in Europe. She's a good quality player. She has played Champions League. She can be selected by either Australia or New Zealand. And last I heard from a friend of the pod, Philip Rollo, over at Stuff in New Zealand, is uh, Yitka Klimkova, current football fans head coach, has not even heard of India Page Riley. So, Tony, if you're listening, make a phone call, bud. I would, I would agree in terms of Mackenzie Hawksby, Sam. I think she's been fantastic. The other day she like started against Perth and apparently had dismissed the whole week with COVID. So good good for her. Um, I saw, I think it was Ali Green tweeted as tweeted as much. Um, and Ante Juric actually said in Sydney's previous game that he couldn't believe that she wasn't on the radar as well. So hopefully it ends up being a little bit of like a Claire Wheeler situation where just that, blooming a little bit later comes to the fore because I love a goal scoring midfielder. They're great fun. And she's such a workhorse. Again, it's, it's similar to Taylor Ray where you, you see the absence of Polias and, and Wheeler and these players have just stepped up and been excellent and been so crucial. Um, I think she's, she's left her run a little bit late cause she's only just broken into Sydney FC, but if she gets the form up, I wonder if they take another look at Rachel Lowe who got capped a few years back. I don't think that's on the horizon yeah, those similar to what you said about Ayushinori, Sam. These are the players that now need to take the opportunity while some other players are away to really stand out. I mean, the, the standout omission for me, it, it's got to be Angie Beard. I, I can't quite get my get my head around it. Um, I know that there are other defenders 
higher up. But if you had the option to take a slightly more extended squad, it, it surprises me that you wouldn't, given she's a lefty. Um, I think as a left back, she has generally been better than Courtney Nevin. Um, and I prefer Courtney Nevin as a centre back. And if Nevin is being used at centre-back, we're not really solving the issue of what happens if something happens to Steph Catley, right? So for me, I thought it would have made sense to have her in the squad as well as Nevin and Catley as sort of three left-sided players. Um, And she was doing well in Denmark, had a really good season in the A-League women before that. And when she did play in Matildas, they seemed happy with her. Like she in that Island game, I remember Sam, when we were on that presser with Tony, he highlighted how brave she was with and without the ball. So... I'm more just sort of surprised that she hasn't gotten a look in there. And it can't be that she's not been playing recently because obviously Claire Wheeler plays at the same club and has been um, <clears throat> has been picked. Charlie Grant hasn't got really any game time in Sweden and has been picked. So there's a, there's a couple there where I think the players involved would uh, be entitled to be a bit um, bemused. Um, if you were picking a few extra players to fill out a squad in terms of, again, rewarding players for good form, I don't know if necessarily would make the final squad, but Emma Checker probably on form, I think probably could be in the mix for an extended squad. I think she's been excellent for City in terms of really marshalling a defence. Again, I don't I don't know if she'd necessarily crack the main squad over the sort of established centre-backs, but if you're looking at extended depth, which is what we're talking about, if you had 30, I think she would have been a good selection. But, I mean, for me, the, the players that have been picked in that extended training squad are, are the ones that have been the standouts. Like, I, I think if Taylor Ray, obviously, what didn't have COVID, I reckon she'd have been really pushing to make that final squad because she's just been fantastic. And we've talked about Vine and and McNamara and and Heatley as well. And, yeah, if I think if the Asian Cup, as you said, Sam, was coming a, a bit later and wasn't in India and Katrina Gore didn't have a four-and-a-half-month-old baby, she'd be well and truly in the mix too. Um, but, yeah, there's not too... I suppose there's not too many others that are like massive. Where is this player? But yeah, I would also have liked to have seen if she was fit, maybe not necessarily to make the final squad, but Alex Chidiak back in the training environment again, because I thought she showed some early glimpses in her first couple of games for victory. But I think that's maybe, and she said as much to me a couple of weeks ago, probably further down the track when she's got more game time under her belt. So this, I just remembered. Susan Fonsonkamp is one of fits into that category of I would love to suss the vibes and like I think she had a little bit of a quiet start to the season but I feel like she's really built up momentum for Perth so um, but again on the other hand maybe it's a case of just sitting in that space of let's see how she goes for the rest of the season because as we've discussed the players who are going have been like bam I'm here and I'm doing very well whereas there is a there are players who are sort of coming round round about now which is obviously a, a tad too late um but as we as I mentioned earlier you never know because like they're being watched I, I, I find it interesting where people like is should I, can am I missing something does Tony need to be in Australia surely he has a VPN I and also we can talk about this. It's not just him. He has like a whole support staff around him whose very jobs are to be like, check out this player. What do you reckon? Or like, anyway, Sam, you, you're in the know on this side of things. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I can I can speak to that. Um, I interviewed Mel Andrietta, assistant coach, uh, last week, and yeah, there seems to be this assumption um, that the buck sort of stops with Tony, and that there is this very strict hierarchy of decision making in terms of he is the the final sort of cut, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's advisors and people making suggestions and. But it's not actually like that. When you speak to Andrietta and when you speak to Tony, he constantly talks about how he and his staff are one group, that they make collective decisions, they have discussions, they have debates, but he relies so much on the expertise, on the history, on the knowledge of the, particularly the women coaches around him, because they're the ones who've been involved in this space for much longer than he has in Australia. He really depends on their familiarity with these players with their understanding of the game and with their coaching abilities as well like it's not just that they know the players it's that they know football they can make intelligent coaching tactical decisions when it comes to these kinds of selections um and andrietta sort of when i asked her about that and the the the, the sort of the dynamic and the relationship between the two of them she really emphasized the fact that she doesn't feel like an assistant coach she feels like a co-coach it feels like they're doing it in partnership together and even though they've been separated by half a planet during covid because tony's based in sweden his family's there he said he wants to stay there until his daughter finishes high school which is pretty soon and then he's going to move everybody over to australia even despite that distance they are in constant contact they are always on zoom always on the phone always exchanging notes they're always like um doing like screen sharing and watching footage and they have all these different um like pieces of software that they can use called like huddle and all these other kinds of coach specific things where you can exchange data and you can pause um, footage and you can like draw circles and, and do all these kinds of really cool things that the internet has really facilitated. So in some ways, it's actually been really beneficial, I think, that they have been physically separated because it means that they've really dug deep into the kinds of technologies that are now available to head coaches at this level. And perhaps that's the reason why we've seen some of the selections for the squad that we have, because they realize the importance of these kinds of tools now, and they can see the benefit of using stats like we've mentioned with Courtney Vine and with Holly McNamara to inform their decision-making. And I think overall, it's just going to be a better thing for the Matildas because it means that we are picking the players who are statistically performing. They are the, the players who are the standouts. Um, so yeah, so it's it sounds to me from the outside like the this it's not just the players who seem to really be gelling and creating this really positive culture, but it's also the staff. It's a really really important part of this entire ecosystem is that all the staff work collectively, that they trust each other, that they listen to each other, that they challenge each other, and that's one of the things that Mel said as well is that one of the things that she loves about Tony is that he constantly questions himself. He's like, okay, what can we do better? It's not just the players that need to get one day better. It's us as well as as coaches, as mentors, you know, trying to guide these players into the next chapter of their careers, whether it's national team or club level. 
how can we help facilitate their growth as well as they can facilitate ours? And that's just so lovely to hear that it's it's part of this sort of much more holistic approach to to the game than just you know stats and and trying to win games. I think that's that's really lovely. So yeah, I'm I like when you sort of really understand uh, the, the the kind of dynamic that the coaching staff has established over the past year. I think like me, you become a lot more confident about the kinds of decisions like this that are made. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the Asian Cup because I think it's it's going to be a test, but it's also going to be, uh, you know, six, six more months of working together, these coaches, these players, and we're going to be faced with different challenges, a different style of football, different questions that need to be asked. And I've never really felt as confident that we're going to come out the other end with a trophy as I do at the moment. Would like to open up the floor to any final takes on this squad, on the tournament, on things and stuff. My big question that I really want to see answered is who is the number one goalkeeper for the Matildas? I feel like we've not really been given an answer on that. Like it's it's interesting because Teague and Mike obviously look poised to do that post-Olympics, but obviously the season's ended in Sweden, so she's not really been playing. We know about Lydia Williams in terms of her up and down situation with minutes at club level, but she was getting used more. And again, it's that conundrum of Mackenzie Arnold is clearly the informed club goalkeeper of the three, but hasn't been able to impress um, necessarily when she's got a Matilda's call up. So I'll be very interested to see if they do turn to Arnold in a couple of those early games where you see we're, you know, we're expected to win and do so comfortably because I think if they do that and she performs well, that might give her the confidence to maybe think she can actually be the one to sort of, it's kind of like a snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, right? Having been dropped from the Olympics. She's clearly been the best in terms of club form. If she gets some confidence from a couple of opening games, I think that could be a really exciting thing in terms of the competitiveness of our goalkeeping stocks. But yeah, it's, it's something that I want to see kind of answered. And I know Tony's been very open about the not necessarily having a number one goalkeeper, but I think at some point you do have to have a bit of push comes to shove and see a consistent facing goal. Um, yeah, I'm interested in what you think there, Sam. No, I don't agree. I, because I think that just like players and just like combinations of players, there are different goalkeepers for different games. Um, and we sort of saw that happen uh, when Joe Monomero was at Arsenal. He quite liked to rotate goalkeepers based on the opponent and the different kinds of qualities that a goalkeeper had. So if you look at the three goalkeepers that we do have in contention, some are better at distribution, some are better natural shot stoppers, some are taller. You know, they all have different qualities that I think are going to be more required against certain opponents than against others. And I would hope that that's the kind of philosophy that, Tony and the coaching staff are taking towards their selections as well because what happens when you have a consistent goalkeeper is that things settle and I don't think it's a good thing for players in an environment like this to feel settled. I think they should always be fighting against one another, always competing against one another because it means they're always improving and they're always wanting to get better and they're always wanting to challenge for that spot. You can sort of dangle it as a carrot but you're never actually going to let them catch it you know, because it's a motivator. It's something that gets them to continue to improve. And by virtue of that, the rest of the team continues to improve as well. I agree with 
that I think it's good to have it competitive. I don't think you ever want to be in a spot, as you say, where one goalkeeper is settled and it's probably something that hurt us in the past where you felt like it was just Lydia Williams. But I do think given the defensive issues we've seen with this team and maybe some of the clangers and some of the the mix-ups and these sort of things, I do wonder if there is some merit in getting a consistent voice there for a little bit. That has to be earned. I think that's the key. It has to be earned. And I think your point there, Sam, is valid. But... I know you you don't see too many great teams where there's a chopping and changing of goalkeepers all the time. And I think we it would be good to see someone get that consistently. Or at least there's got to be more, at the very least, there's got to be more games. If they're going to be rotating keepers, we've got to see more and more and more games because you can't be playing, you know, a friendly every couple of months and it's Mackenzie Arnold and then it's Deegan Micah and then it's Lydia Williams. I felt like we had a lot of confidence in the Olympics once Tegan Micah had really, to use my own phrase, taken things by the scruff of the neck and said, I'm the number one goalkeeper right now, backed it up on the field, and we looked more sturdy defensively as a result. Just look at that, the bad game against Sweden, where we only conceded because of a, a really un, unlucky sort of deflection and, um, a, and an inventive shot. Like I think for a team that has not necessarily shown much stability defensively, getting someone to really put their hand up and stand up in that that goalkeeping trio, um, I think could be a really, really important thing. And as you say, Sam, if those other two goalkeepers then doing well at club level are forcing the issue and force the hand and get their way in, that's a great result too. But um, I'm just going to be interested to see how it plays out because for me, it's hard to see it being three group games and three different goalkeepers. So, uh, it's going to be interesting. We can only agree on so many things for so long, Sam. It's good for us to have our little needling moments. So this is the whole, the the foundations of narrative. You have to have characters who have motivations and you have to have tension. Otherwise, there's no interest. This is where this, is where this comes from. Are we talking about the goalkeepers or? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good. Like, this is important, right? Like, this is why I, I love this pod and this is why I love being part of this community because it's like, we can talk about this stuff and we can ask these questions and we can debate picks and we can approach it from different angles because a lot of the time when we have these conversations, I learn new stuff, you know, like I, I take on a perspective that I hadn't considered before because I'm, I'm trapped in my own sort of horizons, you know, and that's what's I think so beneficial about being able to do things like this more often and having more people listen and sharing and doing all that and engaging on Twitter. Like it's, it's really good for all of us as part of this community to get more perspectives because it means we all grow as fans and then we can, we can engage in the game in more interesting and more informative ways. It's awesome. I think we'll leave it at that then. <laughs> I was going to say that wasn't meant to be, that was just a me talking thing. I mean, we could keep it in the pod, but it was just and a keep me. Keep it in. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my way of saying I appreciate y'all. And it saved me a spiel. We're on ESPN.com.au in the ESPN app. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Subscribe, leave a review. Talk to us, as Sam has just said, on uh, the social medias. Angela? Oh, yeah, and we also just wanted to say read compliments and telling us that we're doing good. We love that shit. If, like, <laughs> if you send it on Instagram, if you send it on Twitter, we share it in our group chat. And genuinely, it really does so much. So com- more compliments is what I'm, no, I'm not saying that. But like Give if you feel compliments. hesitant about um, sharing how you feel, we love it. So anyway. We really do. We're very much um, 
podcasts. We are confidence-based players. That's a very good take, Angela. We are confidence-based players, so please give us some confidence. But no, this has been the Tilly Squad bonus pod. We will have our usual A-League Women pod with you very, very shortly. And then obviously we will continue talking about that competition. We will obviously be talking about the Asian Cup once it starts. The Matildas' first game, January 21st, kickoff at 9pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time against Indonesia. So we cannot wait. That is enough. I'm going to stop talking. See yous.